Hello and welcome to another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. I'm Chris Sork, alongside Dilu here to my right, as we come to you covering the hottest team in the Big 12 right now. That's right, folks. I said it. K-State's on a three-game winning streak, getting two really nice wins over Iowa State. Uh, last Saturday in Ames, a one-point come-from-behind heart-stopping victory. And then they went into Norman, Oklahoma, and handled Oklahoma from start to finish, getting a 74-61 to win over Lon Kruger and the Oklahoma Sooners. K-State's playing some great basketball. Easy to look at. It's easy to kind of come here from where we were last week and say, oh, well, we're not quite sure. This West Virginia comeback, awesome comeback. Great, uh, great game to be at, great game to watch. But it, this is West Virginia is the worst team in the Big 12. Should we be more concerned that we were down by 21 points in the second half? Uh, but here we are, and K-State's playing some really good basketball. They've got a chance to run it out to a four-game win streak, and then they get to host Texas uh, Tech uh, the following Tuesday. So some really tough games on the horizon, but both those games will be in Bramwich in front of a nice home crowd. So as we kind of – as I kind of got you – Caught up here to speed. I'm going to bring in my main man, D. Louie, here. D. Louie, how are we doing this fine Thursday evening? Oh, it's I'm doing great, Chris. Uh, recording another edition of the Short Side Option podcast, which is absolutely my favorite hour of the week. And I pray that it's all our listeners' favorite hours of their week as well. Uh, on this edition, of course, we're going to kind of recap the two strings of wins, the two wins this week, and look ahead to... Uh, the games against the Toads and the Raiders, uh, as you mentioned, both of which are in the octagon of doom. Um, so getting right into it, let's let's talk Iowa State first because that makes sense chronologically. Uh, that was an an afternoon game last Saturday. Uh, I personally watched that game in the Arrowhead Stadium parking lot because oh, I was did you? yeah it was unbelievably cold. You know, they said it snowed six inches between game time and when the gates opened on Saturday at Arrowhead. How about that? That's wild. That's, I was not aware. I was, you know, up in Ames, but I I had been driving through, of course, uh, some of that stuff, but it looks like the hard stuff started to kind of come down a little bit later. I've, I've never watched K-State basketball when I've personally been in a snowstorm, so that was a first for me, and wow. I'd, I'd recommend it to anybody if you get the chance. But uh, getting more into the uh, X's and O's uh, portion of this, you know, it's it's really easy to look. In the last five halves of K-State basketball, they've been certainly some of the best halves they've played all year, dating back to the second half of the West Virginia game. Icon, broadly speaking, from a macro level, what has been the difference? Well, that's a great question. Um, I think the simplest explanation is the ball starting to go in the hole a little bit better. And K-State, uh, I'll points to the game against Iowa State. Pretty good first half there against Iowa State. Scored 35 points. Held Iowa State to 26. I mean, case, with K-State, you know what you're going to get at this point. You're going to get a team that is going to be very difficult to score on. And Iowa State's pretty prolific offense. 
uh, one of the top 25 offenses in the country via Ken Palm. And K-State really did a great job of, of taking away what they like to do in terms of from a set perspective and also uh, just clamping down on shooters. Mariel Shayok, who uh, at, what, at that time was leading the Big 12 in scoring, held to nine points on, um, on four of nine shooting. So really clamping down on those uh, on their best player. Xavier Sneed, I thought, did a tremendous job uh, as he was really shadowing him throughout uh, most of that game. But, you know, really, in K-State, in that, I'm going to just look at this Iowa State game here for a moment. They didn't shoot the ball great, but they, you know, made, they made their three th- free throws at a better clip than they normally do, uh, you know, going 79 or 78% from the line. And they shot the three ball, not great, 32%. But uh, that certainly, you know, beats what they've been shooting in some other games. So that was – the offense still wasn't great in that game. But the story of that game to me, and it's been the story of K-State's uh, current three-game win streak, and that's Barry Brown. Right, rattled off 23 against Iowa State and uh, 25 against Oklahoma – uh, 29 and 29 against uh, West Virginia. That's right. So uh, he right now uh, is Ben K State's best player, uh, really all season, and right now he's he's really stepping up big for the Wildcats when they need him. Well, he had such a strong tournament last year, and throughout the first, really since the last three games, it seems like he's been sort of absent in terms of scoring, or at least being the kind of score K-State needs, especially without Dean Wade in the lineup. Um, And I wonder, do you think, obviously Wade wasn't in the lineup against West Virginia, but do you think that Wade's presence on the court takes some of the pressure off Barry? I mean, Wade didn't have a a huge game against Iowa State. Did did he even score in that game? He had two points uh, on a nice uh, drive kind of late in that game. But, yeah, not a factor really much scoring in that game. Is So how does Wade's presence on the court, if it if that factors into this at all, especially because, as you mentioned, Wade or uh, Barry had a big game against West Virginia as well, but does Wade's presence on the court, even if he's not being super efficient with the basketball like he was on against Iowa State on Saturday, is his presence on the court, does that open things up for Barry a little more? Uh, it opens uh, things not only up for Barry Brown, but it opens up things – for everybody, as far as I can see, when I look at how teams defend Dean Wade when he gets the ball, kind of in the in the post extend, low block extended, uh, you know, right uh, about 12 feet outside the basket, kind of in that in that short corner to uh, to mid elbow area, he oftentimes gets doubled from that location. He's a good enough passer and good enough ball handler to where he's either able to dribble out of of that of that trap and get the ball moving or he's able to just, you know, swing it to the other side to find a, an open driving lane for a guy or an open shot. So what that does anyone that's watched K-State this year while Wade was injured they see kind of the same stuff. Okay, 30-second shot clock. We'll pound the ball out there dribbling for 25 seconds, and then 
Brown will either take it into traffic uh, in amongst the trees and throw up something at the rim, or we'll settle for an outside shot, which you know they haven't been falling for K-State uh, up until a little bit more recently. With, with that presence, so when May Ween gets the ball in the post, they often bring the double, and he's not as adept at getting the ball out uh, to an open guy or uh, turning and scoring you know, on his own, even when the double comes. With Wade, like I said, he gets the ball in the double team, He's either able to kick it out or dribble out of pressure. And by getting it to an open guy, that creates your motion. Because when a guy has no one on him and has the ball, he's able to either drive, either able to shoot it, and you're getting better looks because of that. So whether he's scoring or not, and the Iowa State game I think is a great example. Uh, Iowa State was oftentimes bringing over a secondary defender to come, to come help uh, out on Dean Wade. And while he only scored ten point or two points, he was able to share the ball a little bit and get things going from uh, whether it's driving and kicking off that driving to the hole or or finding an open shot. So I think his impact on K State's offense, even in a game where he wasn't looking to score, only scored two points, was was pretty effective and and pretty measurable. Well, and one thing that you you talked a little bit about outside shooting, and one thing that really stuck out to me, especially against Oklahoma, and, you know, and I'll even talk for a little bit about this on Iowa State, too. Um, K-State shot the ball 30% from three against Iowa State. Now, that's not a good clip. No. Okay, that's, that's, that's downright bad. But it's not as bad as it's been for K-State. Sure. I mean, I, without, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but prior to the Iowa State game, I would say that K-State was shooting somewhere – in the 20% from three, 20s uh, on the season, um, just as my guess. But against Oklahoma, that number jumped up to 45 and a half, and that's obviously not uh, sustainable, you wouldn't think. That's probably an outlier uh, for any team. But uh, when those shots do start to fall, when you, when you are having even a below average night shooting from three if you're K-State, and you are able to make just 30% of your three-pointers, even especially when you're shooting 22 of them. I mean, if you're draining seven threes, that's substantial. But that's a long way of saying that when you are sh- making those shots, those outside shots, it feels like that opens things up in the middle a little bit. Absolutely. Because teams are having to extend out, and they can't just totally rely on packing in, whether it's a zone or just playing a really loose man-to-man. And that opens up the lane for Barry to do what he does best, which is be an elite finisher at the rim. Yeah, and with Barry Brown, uh, not only does he – he is getting close. Uh, he's still not quite there from behind the arc as a, as a consistent shooter. But he's, he's – right now he is definitely a two-level scorer, meaning at the rim and in the mid-range. Very good mid-range game. Um, and he's got a good enough – shot from outside to where you have to respect it so he can score at three levels which is 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 really important Dean Wade can score at three levels too the mid-range at the bucket and from beyond the arc that kind of diversity really um really opens things up for you know for the whole entire offense 
I thought I noticed, especially with uh, the Oklahoma game where, where Dean was a little bit more aggressive, that uh, having that role as kind of more of a, a scoring presence inside allowed uh, the bell cow to really shine in, I think, what's his best role. And that's really being a guy that is dangerous in the pick-and-roll game, where you're not necessarily running sets for him, you're not necessarily running ISO for him, but you're just letting the offense kind of, you know, flow. And he's an effective scorer when he, you know, has single coverage, and it's a guy that he's not given up height to. Uh, but when he gets double teamed is when he has is when he has those struggles. He oftentimes gets the ball ripped away or, you know, gets eaten up or isn't quick enough or decisive enough when making a move to try to score. So when he gets that single coverage and he's able just to dive to the basket on pick and roll, he's pretty darn effective. And last night, I believe he had eight rebound or seven rebounds, eight points, and really did a great job of, of controlling the paint. So I thought that was a really uh, a really good performance from him. And in a new, and this is a better role for him rather than being a guy that we just load up down the block and dump it into. Well, and speaking of roles, I want to talk to you a little bit. With, with Wade's presence back in the lineup, how does that affect minutes moving forward? And are we starting to see what the Scorpion wants out of this the team composition moving forward in terms of minutes and roles and uh, who is kind of the identity of this team moving forward? Yeah, so I, I'm looking here at the numbers from last night. Barry Brown, 37 minutes. Snead, 36 minutes. Stokes, 30 minutes. Uh, Belcal, 26, and Wade, 25. Uh, Jada with 25. Uh, Mike McGurl with uh, 14. Stockard, 2. And uh, Sean Neal Williams and Trice got, got in as well. as, And then they ended up kind of clearing the bench uh, along with those folks. So, yeah, it's really kind of getting shrunk down to about a seven-man rotation, which is about where you want to see it uh, come conference play. I think that the roles are getting pretty well defined. I think that there's still uh, two guys that I would say maybe can get into this a little bit more are maybe Sean Neal Williams, of course. I think the other thing, too, that you've seen come conference play is K-State hasn't had as much trouble with foul trouble. Uh, as we've discussed kind of at length here on the Short Side Option podcast, Bruce Weber uh, is very strict with his two fouls. If you get two fouls, you're setting out uh, for the re- remainder of the first half, pretty much. And Casey really hasn't had to run into that. And with that, it's allowed these minutes, like like I said right here, the, the minute distribution that you see against Oklahoma is the distribution that you'd like to see the remainder of the season, if you're Bruce Weber, probably. Um, but really, I think in terms of that next guard, whether if it's uh, Jada um, or McGurl that is going to get more of the minutes there, I think that's going to be really dependent on who's just riding the hot hand a little bit. If if Cardi, if the length of Cardi on defense might be a little bit, uh, you know, more desirable for that situation, he'll probably you know get the lion's share of minutes. But it, if uh, Mike was shooting the ball as well as he did against uh, West Virginia in that game, uh, they're going to ride with him. So it's it's a fluid situation, but you've got about seven or eight guys, I think, that are going to see 
pretty much the entirety of the minutes from here on out. Uh, whether if it's Stockard, I think Stockard does a, a, an okay job uh, filling his role of you know whenever uh, Belkow or or Dean is in in foul trouble, that they'll they'll go to him for a spell. I'd like to see something out of Austin Trice. Uh, I'm beginning to worry that uh, we might not get much out of him this season. I, I think at this point it, it it would be a surprise if we did. But he's a guy that has some athletic ability, a little bit undersized, and uh, just not quite there on the offensive end at this point in time. And that's his minutes have been absolutely slashed in yeah, the last sure. month or so. And part of that's Wade coming back and us getting some more depth in the in the front court. But you think that. Part of that is also Bruce really running kind of an analysis on Trice's game and saying, listen, we can't afford to have this yeah. black hole on the, on well, the hardwood. And as, you know, as we've been watching K-State here uh, throughout, the first, um, throughout the first five games of conference play, they've struggled to score. You don't need to throw in uh, a guy that is extremely limited offensively can't create his own shots. Um, a guy that also too, if you foul him, bad free throw shooter. Uh, right now, it's it's it, it's been hard enough for K State to score the ball offensively, and uh, getting Austin Trice out there in that situation isn't isn't best for isn't best for Austin, and it's not best for the team. Well, and that's an interesting point that K State, because K State's so limited offensively, you you can't really you don't really have the luxury of sending out. Uh, an energy type of guy, like in the past under some of those Frank teams, like he'd send out Chris Merriweather. Yeah, Victor Ojale. Yeah, those guys who who are and they, great defenders and yeah, certainly and there's uh, there's a role for that too. I mean, there absolutely is. Yeah, but I on some teams. Yeah, but on this K State team, that's already you feel like playing with one hand tied behind tied behind its back just because of how much they struggle on the offensive end. The, and on the other hand, they're all pretty good defenders in their own right already. Mm-hmm. That a role like that, where you just have a bruiser lockdown defender, but really limited offensively, it, it's hard for me to figure out where a guy like that fits on a team that's already that already struggles to score. Yeah, and with Trice, it's not so much that he's a great defender; it's more that he's a, a, a good energy guy, just as as a rebounder on the offensive glass, which is where K State. Had some struggles last year. Yeah, but this year, uh, Drew, and I have a stat for you here. No. Uh, K-State is the third best team in the country at limiting offensive rebound rebounding for the team. So they're the third best defensive rebounding team via Ken Palm in terms of um, what percentage of when the opposing team shoots the ball, they grab an offensive rebound. Well, and based on the – that's a very interesting stat because based on K-State's glacial pace, and they're already good defending – that teams aren't getting very many shots against K State throughout the duration of the game. And for for comparison's sake, uh, last year they were the 301st team in the country in that same stat, uh, allowing teams to rebound their misses uh, almost 32 percent of the time. Uh, this year, that number's been cut down by 10 percent um, to to about 21 and a half percent exactly. So so what 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 do you make of that? I mean, what's the difference? Because aside from Austin Trice, really, and, and McGurl's increase in minutes, uh, especially throughout the last, during Wade's injury especially, is it just their 
the guys that we have are just better at it? They're bigger and stronger, or, or what is it? You know, there's a couple things uh, that I think would be maybe a little bit of the sign on that. And I think it's it starts with Dean Wade and, and McCall Maywin. They're, they're both very good rebounders. Uh, they do a great job of of doing you know the dirty work on the boards. But if I had to pick one specific area, it would probably be that the guards do a really good job at rebounding. Sneed, very active rebounder. Uh, Barry Brown, also very active rebounder. They have four guys that really rebound very well for their position. And, um, you know, I think a lot of it has to do, too, with K-State is a very good defensive team. They force tough shots. And when you force tough shots and you have good rebounders, um, you know, one through four, or really two through five, I guess I should say, from the shooting guard to, to the center, you should rebound well, and, and they've definitely done that so far this season. Well, as we, we've we kind of done a post-mortem on uh, Iowa State and Oklahoma, as we look ahead to the two games next week before our um, next week's edition of the short side option, we have TCU at home, and then we have Texas Tech at home. Now, we already played Texas Tech. That was another game where K-State came out, you know, a few of those games felt like Groundhog Day, where it was just like, you. I've watched this game before. But uh, t- against Texas Tech, that was the case where it came out very slow, uh, and then later on in the game mounted something resembling a comeback, uh, but eventually fell 63-57. to uh, But let's start out with TCU. How do you see that uh, game in the octagon of, of uh, Doom going? Well, TCU's a pretty darn talented team. They shoot the ball Pretty well from behind the arc. Uh, one of the better te- better three-point shooting teams in the Big 12 so far this season. I would look at this matchup as an interesting one because if Kate or if uh, if TCU shoots the ball well, they're going to be a tough team for anyone to beat. Now there is some news on the TCU front. Uh, Jalen Fisher uh, underwent surgery. He's it was known that he was going to be out for a while. Uh, there was really no idea on exactly how long he was going to be on, be out for. Most folks probably thought he wouldn't be uh, able to return, of course, for the K-State game, if, if for the season. Well, he has been uh, – it has been released that he will be out for the remainder of the season and that he will also transfer from TCU. Wow, this is breaking news right here on the short so, side. He, uh, he will not uh, be a factor. A guy that is uh, a really talented player, uh, one of the highest-rated recruits to go to TCU in some time. So I, um, you know, it's, it's rough for him, and you, ho- you hope nothing but for the best. I think it's his third knee surgery. So he will be, um, be interested to see how his career uh, moves on from that. But TCU's got one of my favorite players in the conference, and that is Alex Robinson. Alex Robinson... Uh, transferred from Texas A&M, but when it comes to watching a guy orchestrate either in the open court or playing pick and roll, there's no one better in the Big 12, and there might not be anyone better in the country than watching him really distribute the ball and um, just really do a great job getting his teammates involved. So I look at at him, he's a good three-point shooter, shooting the ball at at 40% uh, from behind the arc, but uh, Noy, 
also for uh, TCU, good outside shooter. Um, they've really got Desmond Bain, good shooter. All, all of the K-State's games last year, they played TCU three times. All games were very tight and competitive. And really in this one, I see more of the same. I think it's going to be a hard-fought win or a hard-fought game. Uh-oh, but I think, spoilers. I think spoiler here. I think K-State's going to come out on top. They're playing really well um, at this point. And I want to just make go on a quick little sidebar here. Um, I'd like to actually retroactively um, go back and award last week's Big 12 Team of the Week. The short side options Big 12 Team of the Week last week was K-State. Oh, uh, really? So it, it, Kansas State is the inaugural huh. Big 12 uh, Team of the Week. Congratulations, Wildcats. And, you know, I've, Drew, I think with a win over... TCU, they might go back-to-back on this, but let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. This is going to be a tough game. I think K-State's really coming to their own right now. At home, should be a a lively crowd. Students should be back. Should be a good game. But uh, this is a dangerous TCU team. But behind the playmaking of Barry Brown and Dean Wade, I think K-State gets it done. Well, it sounds to me like TCU's a team that uh, really depends on – shooting three-pointers and making them at a pretty high clip. What's K-State's – I don't know if this is an easily accessible stat, but what's K-State's opponent's three-point percentage mark? Yeah, so best I can tell, uh, their three-point uh, percentage that they're allowing is 30.9% from behind the arc, which is a, is a pretty strong number. Uh, that That's good for 51st in the country. Of course, uh, as everyone knows, there's 300 – and 53 teams in Division One basketball. So, so that's so that seems like it's uh, it, it's good versus good. So yeah, that's, that's uh, and TC- as we know, on hey, as we talked about in football, you want your defensive strength to be the offensive strength. Um, so that sounds favorable. Yeah, and TCU does rebound the ball well offensively, um, rebounding 31 percent of their misses. But, like I said, K-State does a great job of limiting teams on the board. Really what it's going to come down to is if K-State uh, is able to, to you know, get easy baskets on their end, whether if it's in transition or uh, you know, running sets and getting good motion out. But with Oklahoma, K-State, uh, Oklahoma is one of the top ten in terms of def- defensive efficiency via Ken Palm. Oklahoma was in the top ten. K-State played their best game of the season from start to finish, I believe, on Wednesday against Oklahoma as they, like I said, coasted to a win, uh, never trailed, and played really a pretty sound game from start to finish. There was a stretch in there, uh, kind of early part of, of second half and, and late in the first half where K-State wasn't quite moving the ball as well on offense as you'd like, but all things considered, best game that I think that they've played so far this season. Well, <clears throat> I echo your sentiments regarding TCU. I think uh, that, that's a game I like the Cats in. Uh, let's look a little bit past TCU and talk about the game next Tuesday at home against uh, the Beards Red Raiders. Is that a game you fear? It's not a game I fear, no. But it is a game that, don't look now, could really be a a stepladder game in terms of who's really going to to challenge KU for 
the conference title. Um, as we look right now, Texas Tech lost last night at home to an Iowa State team that really led pretty much the entire game. And Iowa State is an interesting team. You know, when they play well, you saw what they did to KU, uh, of course, and Ames, uh, you know, really handling them throughout as well in that game. But this this Texas Tech team, it's they're a lot alike like K-State, I think. They're not great offensively. They struggle to kind of get it done there, but they're very good defensively. Texas Tech, as we, we talked when we previewed that matchup, the best defensive team in the country uh, by, by Ken Palm's metrics, and it, it, it quite frankly isn't close. So when you look at what uh, the profile between, between K-State and Texas Tech, it's very similar. The one edge, though, I give to to K State in in this game, in this matchup against Texas Tech is I think you've got a matchup of you know two pretty darn good. I uh, probably the two leading two of the three leading candidates for Big Twelve Player of the Year with Jarrett Culver and Barry Brown right now. Um, Culver's a guy who, who really does it all for Texas Tech offensively. He is their, um, he's their go-to guy. However, did not play well last night against, against Iowa State. Texas Tech kind of goes offensively as, long as, as far as Culver can take him. And I think K-State's a little bit more diverse offensively, especially with, the, with Dean Wade getting back. True. Give me the cats in this one. You like the cats at home against the Raiders? Yeah, so I came on this air, this very air, uh, just last week and said K-State will, you know, if they can go 2-2, two and two, granted we didn't know exactly when Dean Wade would be would be getting back in the swing of things. Uh, I did not expect him to be able to, to, to give it a go like he did and, and play 25 minutes uh, up in Ames or even in Oklahoma. I thought we might get him back for Oklahoma, but I thought it would be on a little bit more limited basis. But uh, it was great to see the Dean Wade of old really back last night against Oklahoma. And I think that with Brown and Wade, when they're going, I don't think there's a better duo in the Big 12 than, um, than, than those two. So... When you look at KU's kind of uh, duo of, of Lawson and Vic uh, as, their two, as their two big guys that uh, really kind of carry the water for them, I'll take Barry Brown and, and Dean Wade over that duo. And I'll take, uh, you know, also too, with, with Texas Tech, it's, it's Culver. And then they have a couple other guys that can kind of chip in. They've got a little bit deeper uh, selection to choose from than K-State, as does, does KU, of course. But... You know, I, I really like this combo of, of Wade and Brown, and I think this is the this is why they were selected as uh, Big Twelve first team All Big Twelve guys. And last night you saw why. That's right. And on the topic of uh, Texas Tech, I will say one thing to keep an eye on is that they've only played two true road games uh, all season. That's uh, right. The fewest of any team in the Big Twelve. So. Tuesday night, that'll be a... Uh, it will be a hostile environment you inside would think the so. octagon. You would think so. I mean, they uh, 
granted, they went to West Virginia and they went to Texas and won both those games. But you, uh, those aren't exactly West Virginia this year. As you mentioned earlier, they've really struggled. It's not your it's not your older brother's West Virginia team. No, it's it's not your it's not your older the senior at high school that that used to buy you beer when you were a sophomore. Yeah, it's not that guy. It's not that guy's brother. Seniors in high school can't buy beer. What am I saying? He had a fake Tommy. Oh, from, you're from right. Third period French. Yeah, he he did. I forgot about Tommy. Uh, that was uh, Beth's older brother. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That was awesome. Anyway, uh, Tech isn't as as good as. Uh, as they were last year, I don't think. But yeah, you think you've you've been vocalizing to me that they're kind of a fraud, is what you've been saying to me. Yeah, I, I have been. I mean, their their best game is was a loss to Duke. I mean, that's that's really what put them on the map was a losing effort to Duke. So uh, no, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll stand. I'll put my stamp on it. Yeah, you will. Raiders, you're frauds. Um, but. I do think that uh, that's that that's could be a big difference is just them going on the road um, because this team doesn't have a ton of experience, especially for a team with as many new faces as Texas Tech has. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm gonna say that K State uh, K State wins both this week. Uh, that they uh, they get they get it done against uh, TCU and Texas Tech. And the, so the one thing I I do want to um, I do want to prepare listeners for uh, when it comes to that Texas Tech game is a guy that really was instrumental in in Texas Tech's earlier win against K-State this season in Lubbock, uh, Davide Moretti. Very good outside shooter. If Culver is going to have a running mate that, uh, you know, helps him out on the offensive end, the two guys that I would be – I'd be most fearful of are Moretti, by far and away the, the one I'd be most fearful of, as he's uh, shooting about 39% from three, and uh, Matt Mooney uh, for, for Texas Tech. Skilled guy, uh, of course, a transfer. Uh, this this uh, Texas Tech team has got a lot of transfers kind of sprinkled throughout here. Uh, one from St. John, uh, Mooney from uh, South Dakota, and Air Force played. This is his third school that he's been at. So these guys are they're a, some new faces, but guys that have been around. And um, Moretti already sunk K State earlier this season, and I, I would think that there's a, a heightened awareness of where he's at, especially when he's behind the arc. Well, yeah, and I will say that Moretti's certainly a, a capable player, but. I think that game against K State was a bit of an aberration for him. That was his season high. Now, granted, he also he had 19 against K State and had a pair of 17-point uh, performances against Mississippi Valley State and Southern California, uh, respectively. But uh, point well taken that old Spaghetti Moretti uh, from Bologna, Italy. Um, how about that? Yeah, that guy's just a you know, world traveler. And for the, I, I can already hear our listeners asking: Is he related to former Colorado Buffalo quarterback Mike Machete? Mike Spaghetti Machete. And uh, at this point, we can't we can't uh, give you an answer on that, but we will. Oh, I actually did some research on this. Oh, today. wow! It's, this is why he's the best in the business. Yeah. Those broadcasting schools are really, I are really paying dividends. I got me. in on. Um, I got in some of the ancestry.com uh-huh. stuff. Yeah. 
punched in uh, spaghetti moretti and spaghetti machete, uh, and I can confirm that they are not. They are not related. Um, Man, I had. I was thinking they were for sure related. Nope. Oh well. Believe it or not, they're not. Um, but uh, long story short, I think that uh, Moretti is is a capable player. I would not expect him to have uh, 19 points again shooting. Uh, 7 of 11 from the field, 3 of 7 from beyond the arc. But uh, because he was, you're right, he was unconscious against uh, K-State a couple Saturdays ago. But uh, I think K-State's defense is going to be able to lock it down. Hopefully their offensive uh, rhythm, looking semi-capable over these last few games, has uh, continues, and I would expect K-State to uh, win a close one there in the brand. You know, and I'll, I'll, I want to just give one further thought before we kind of wrap up this edition of, of the short side option. And I think it's the biggest thing for K-State, too. I think that West Virginia game was really big, getting having the largest comeback in school history. Right now, I think the biggest difference from the K-State you saw five, six games ago, whether it was the hanging from uh, the ledge against George Mason where they were able to hang on and win there, or – um, you know, the anemic performance against Texas and Texas Tech in the first halves of those games and Texas really throughout the game, I think you're seeing some confidence. And get in front of a home crowd, uh, getting a chance to get a couple, two really nice wins and really planting your flag as a, as a competitor in the Big 12 Conference this season to win the regular season title, there's a really great opportunity for K-State and I'm really excited to see how they do. All right, well, that wraps up our X's and O's portion, our look back, our look forward when it comes to K-State on the hardwood. Uh, After this short break, we will get into a little segment we call this week's Wildcat Legend. And I, Icon, we're in for a treat this week. Um, I can't wait. I'm waiting with bated breath. Of course, I'm going into this completely blind. Uh, I like how we did it last week, and uh, I can't wait to see what you got up your sleeve this week. And uh, after that, we'll get into some listener questions on this week's edition of Ask the Icon. Uh, That all, and maybe a little more, is coming up right after this break, here on the Short Side Option. And we are back with the Short Side Option. It is now time for this week's edition of this week's Wildcat Legend. An icon this week, Wildcat Legend. Played under a coach that many Wildcat Legends have played under. I'm talking, of course, of Jim Woldridge. This man was number 11. He was a guard. In fact, he was an extremely quick and athletic point guard who not only had the ability to distribute the basketball, but also score the basketball. And very important things to have. Not only to be able to distribute, but also... Score. Especially if you're a point guard. I'm speaking, of course, of Midwest City, Oklahoma's very own Larry Reed. And as I mentioned, he hails from Midwest City High School. He was the Oklahoma Class 6 state champion in 1998, or at least his high school was. He averaged 15 points and 6 assists as a senior that year. He took his talents to the junior college ranks out of high school, where he played... For Northern Oklahoma, uh, team coached by Mick Weiberg, of course, uh, as 
In the year 2000, he was named second team junior college All-American. He led those. Uh, he led Northern Oklahoma to Region Two championship and a berth in the National Junior College Tournament as a sophomore. He was tabbed the All by West Conference, All State, and All Region as a sophomore. He was selected as MVP of Region Two Junior College Tournament. For Northern Oklahoma, he averaged 18 and a half points per game, six assists, three steals, and three rebounds. Then. He went to Kansas State. In his junior year, he started all 29 games. He was the second leading scorer on the team at 11.2 points per game. The top assist man, averaging 3.8 per game. That's good enough for 10th in the Big 12 as a junior. Uh, He posted double figures in 17 games that year, including 13 of his last 16 games. His 109 assists ranked tied for 14th on the K-State all-time single-season chart, and he posted a career-high 31 points in the Wildcats' upset of number 19, Iowa. And I'm sure you remember that game. Yes, absolutely. Uh, His senior year, it was even better. He averaged 14.4 points per game and was named the Tex winner, Outstanding Offensive Player of the Year for the Wildcats. Uh, And he was tabbed second-team All-Big 12. Wow. And one more interesting point. When I used to play basketball... Yeah. On uh, well, you still do. You still play hoops. No, I, but I mean, of course I still play. I still yeah. hoop. I still run fives. But when I used to play, when I was a kid, during the Larry Reed era, as I call it, mm-hmm. when my friends and I would play out on the driveway, I'd always be Larry Reed. Is that so? Yeah, they'd always be, you know, Jeff Boshi or... or uh, Eric Chinoweth, yeah, yeah, maybe Eric, Eric Chinoweth, yeah, Keith Langford, one of some of those jokers, but but me, I give me second team All Big Twelve, Larry Reed, baby, and I'll just stroke a very serviceable thirty four percent from three, and uh, you know just impose my will on uh, the defenses. Any, what what are your thoughts on this week's uh, hallowed Wildcat legend? Well, Larry Reed, uh, I definitely do look back at his time at K State very fondly. Uh, a guy that you know, quite frankly, some on some of those K State teams, there there wasn't a lot to um, not a lot to cheer for. Uh, but Larry Reed was, like you said, not only a great player for K State, but recognizes the second team All Big Twelve um, All Big Twelve guard. This is at the time when when um, there were some really good guards in the Big Twelve. Uh, Clarence Gilbert from Missouri. Um, Kirk Heinrich, you know, the list goes on and on. But Larry Reed was, you know, right in the same breath as, as those guys, and he's a very good player. Um, I look back at his career finally. I was never – I would always, um, whenever I was – Pretending. Pretending to be, you know, a, a K-State standout. Which, let's get real, we all we all were. Yeah, we all did. I mean – it just shows your age, really, I guess. Whether yeah. you were going to be Ski Jones or yeah. whether you're going to be Larry Reed or, you know, there Jacob are Jacob Pollard. There are kids I mean, out there playing on driveways these days thinking I can I'm be the Barry next, Brown. Or Dean Wade or, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, for me, whenever I was imitating which K State grade I was, I was always in the corner, stroking three pointers. As finest Atchison. <laughs> oh, wow, that's a yeah. that's somebody you want to look up to for yeah. sure. 
Yeah, it was either always him or if I was going to, you know, if I was playing with someone who really played more on the outside and I was going to be down more on the inside a little bit more, I'd be the big big fella from Junction City. Not many dies, but Quentin Buchanan. Oh, Q. That's right, man. <laughs> I don't love that. So, I, um, you know, it's funny, actually. Uh, <laughs> this is, we're kind of getting a little bit off, off topic here, but uh, when I uh, worked in Topeka, I um, spoke to this lady at one of our trainings, uh, and she was Quentin Buchanan's wife. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> because she was like, oh, yeah, my husband played basketball at K-State. And then I was like, oh, is that so? He's like, yeah, you might. You, you, she's like, oh, you're too young to recognize him. And I'm like, oh, try me. You're like, I bet I'm not. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, oh, his, name, his name's Quentin Buchanan. I'm like, yeah, I remember him playing from Junction City. She's like, yeah. She's like, yeah, that's pretty she weird. Was she was probably very disturbed, <laughs> but hey, when you're when you're dealing with the icon, you're gonna get a, a, a vast and storied knowledge of K State basketball. Wow, how about that? Well, and after he finished his time in Manhattan, Larry Reed actually had four seasons playing in the uh, in the D League. Oh, okay. So he was a bit of a journeyman there, um, but certainly that's something that. Uh, that part of Larry Reed's career isn't what K-State fans remember, but it was his career in Manhattan, uh, his, the two years of service he gave the Wildcats, that makes him this week's Wildcat legend. Now we're going to get into our final segment on the show, a segment we call Ask the Icon, where listeners can submit their questions to the short side option's very own Chris the Icon Sork, and he will do his best to answer them. And uh, he does a great job every week. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, listeners can submit those questions by submitting them to the Short Side Options Podcast at T-S-S-O underscore podcast uh, or using the hashtag AskTheIcon or um, by using Carrier Pigeon and sending them to our apartment. We, You know, I, I want to let folks know I actually did recently install a birdhouse on the balcony. And, and it looks uh, great. And, uh, yeah, pigeons are welcome. Like that, uh, like Pigeon Man and Hey yeah, Arnold. Hey Arnold. Uh, sooner is your later. plan? Is, is your plan to have these pigeons carry you off into the sun, like at the end of Hey Arnold? Yeah, yeah, I'd yeah, say it is. so. Yeah, it is. All right, asked and answered. Our first Ask the Icon question. Uh, <laughs> that, that you know, I was really kind of hoping to keep that uh, ace up my <laughs> sleeve, but well, when hey, I, when the Icon gets asked, yes, the answer. You know, I haven't seen you run in very many messages with these pigeons that we've been collecting on our porch, so I just assume that you're training them to, to, you've been feeding them a healthy well, amount been, of food. I've been feeding them well. Yeah. You should have seen the feed bill this week. <laughs> you think that seed just, just, uh, you know, it's for free? Well, there's some Not particularly hefty pigeons oh, that are yeah. collecting outside the short side options. Feel bad for our neighbor's car <laughs> underneath, but hey, that's neither here nor there. That's neither here nor there. Well, just make sure the uh, we keep the lights on when you uh, when you get carried away. So, moving on, our first question comes from listener uh, Big Dog in Madison, BDIM. BDIM has a series of questions. Uh, the first is. Uh, what do you think the odds that our defensive coordinator leaves for the NFL? 100%. All right. Because he, he's gone. He's gone. <laughs> he, he's gone to take a, an assistant coaching position with the Monsters of the Midway. That's one of the shortest tenured defensive or shortest tenured coaches that K-State's ever had. Yeah, and... Shades of Andy Ludwig? It, uh, shades of Andy Lug, Ludwig. Um, Rob Ryan, of course. That one is 
pretty well known uh, as he, you know, of course, went on to, uh, you know, his colorful brother Rex, uh, you know, was the Jets coach, but Rob uh, had been a, a longtime defensive coordinator in his own right. And we at the short side option are big fans of Rex Ryan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so follow up. Uh, oh, and just on the topic of coaches with short tenures, I feel kind of bad. I I was giving KU kind of a hard time for their offense coordinator, Chip Lindsey, taking the head job at Troy and then being kind of left at the altar there. And so it doesn't feel good when the shoe's on the other foot. So my apologies to the to Snob Hill. Um, Still kick rocks. Yeah. All I, I, all I care. Uh, yeah. Uh, she asks, if he does leave, uh, what should be our plan for hiring his replacement? Well, the one thing that's nice about this is that he, if he was going to leave, that he left pretty much instantly because you've been interviewing for this position. So um, you should have that list pretty well fresh. Um, I, I can't remember his, his first name, but Hazleton, uh, who's Scott, Scott, Scott Hazleton. Uh, defensive co- uh, coordinator at Wyoming under under Craig Bowl, of course, who um, spent time at North Dakota State. That would be an option uh, that had been kind of rumored. But at this point, yeah, I'd love to see K-State go out and try finding uh, – I, I can't remember his first name, but Gibbs from Texas Tech. Oh, Doug. Doug, get no, nah, it's not Doug. I can't, I can't remember his name. You clown, but uh, Gibbs, he, I saw he got uh, hired at Mizzou recently, so that would have been a great, uh, a great fit as Texas Tech's defense. You know, it's still not great, but it had improved under him. David Gibbs, as as I see you pull it up there on your computer, but I, I'd like to see a guy that's got some Power Five uh, defensive coordinating experience. But uh, it'll certainly be one to watch. I'd like to see somebody though with uh, some experience, hopefully. Uh, you know, at the Power Five level, if not uh, even better, I, I would love to see some someone in the uh, maybe in the Big Twelve uh, that that has spent some time in this conference. Well, I know somebody who spent some time in this conference coaching defense, uh, coaching defense that um, I think would probably be willing to take that job. Blake Siler. Yeah, I mean, I'm. You know, it's worse comes to worse, and here's the thing. And I, I hate stepping on your feet because no, you're seven. No. But when you have a guy, let me put it this way. I'd be a lot more concerned if K-State just hired an offense coordinator and he bailed. Because Kleiman is a guy that yeah, busted it. He, he, he cut his teeth coaching defense. Sure. And so if, if Kleiman handles the defense this year, not the worst thing in the world. Um, because I'd like to have Kleiman's hands all over the defense. Sure. And so really it's the defense coordinator, a bit of a luxury. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's something you want to have, but really it's a guy that I wouldn't hate if he was a strong recruiter rather than a big, uh, you know, philosophy analysis, X's and O's type of guy. Um, because really, Kleiman, he's... he's Already, sort of an expert. No, there. that's that's a really good point that you bring up. I um, I don't know. I I'd, I'd like to see somebody. I if Blake Siler is 
calling defensive plays again this year. I wouldn't hate it. I'd I'd like to see maybe somebody else uh, just to let him kind of. I mean, he was awful green as a defensive coordinator, but I also thought he performed pretty well this year. So if he takes over as defensive coordinator, uh, takes over his old spot as defensive coordinator, so to speak, um, as he's now just focused on defensive ends, I believe, correct? Or was it linebackers? I can't – it wasn't uh, – because I know when – with Tuiasa Sopo coming on board, which um, is Marcus Tuiasa Sopo's uncle, I believe, or is it cousin? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, of actually. relation to former Washington quarterback I mean, Marcus. Loser. Of the uh, – 1999. Holiday Bowl. That's right. Colgan Holiday Bowl. That's right. Uh Marcus Tuiasa-Sopo, but yeah, if Siler's back calling... He's coaching defensive ends. Coaching defensive ends, okay. If he's back coaching or being the defensive coordinator, that's not the end of the world. Uh, I I look forward to seeing what they do, though, because uh, just when you think you have the staff filled out uh, with with the hiring of Tuiasa-Sopo, coaching, uh, I believe, the defensive tackles... Uh, you, you get a wrench in your plans, you got to go find a new coach. So it'll be interesting to see. <clears throat> All right, and a second question from BDIM. Uh, Big Dog of Madison asks, how does the icon feel about facing quarterbacks Jalen Hurts and Alex Delton in the Big 12 next year? Well, one concerns me more than the other. You, you have to account for Delton's legs. Fastest, fastest quarterback K-State's ever had. That's where you're going with it, right? No, no. I, I'm I'm a little bit more concerned about Jalen Hurts. Why are you more concerned about Dalton? It's not my segment. It's yeah, a good answer from you. That's the best. That's the best <laughs> answer I've heard you give. Uh, no, I mean Hurts. Uh, I'm really excited to see what Lincoln Riley does with him. Uh, the guy's not quite polished as a passer, but you know, quite frankly, neither was Kyler Murray. Uh, from what I saw at Texas A&M, now of course Kyler Murray. Uh, lit it up. He was a great player. Um, Hertz has some struggle in the passing game. He's significantly further behind where Kyler Murray was as a passer when he came to OU. But if there's one coach that can get the best out of him and um, allow him to really flourish, give me Lincoln Riley. It's a great answer. Thank you. Uh, and a follow-up on the topic of Jalen Hurts, we have a question from listener Bubba Palmer down in the Lone Star State. Uh, Bubba's question was, is it a given that Ellinger or Hurts is going to be the best quarterback in the Big 12? Well, I'll be interested to see what um, Austin Kendall is able to do at West Virginia as he leaves Oklahoma, goes to West Virginia, uh, under Troy Brown and in his new uh, operation he's got down in Morgantown, but yeah, I'm gonna have to go ahead and say either the best quarterback in the Big Twelve is gonna have to be either Jalen Hurts or Sam Ellinger. Is and that covers this question, correct? Yes. So I mean, Ellinger, you, you don't necessarily come away watching this guy. And saying, wow, that guy is a next-level talent. I hope my favorite NFL team drafts him. You don't really come away with that. But I'll tell you what, he is a tough son of a gun. And he really had some great runs. with some, You saw the physicality with what he runs with all throughout the season. 
uh, in the Big 12. Then you see him do the same thing in, in the Sugar Bowl against Georgia. Now, he not a great passer, but Texas does a couple really good things in terms of, you know, making the game come a little bit easier to him. I think he completed over 65% of his passes this year. Uh, they don't ask, ask him to do a ton in the passing game. They had uh, with Colin Johnson, little Jordan Humphrey, two you know, big, talented wide receivers. They lose Humphrey. They get Johnson back. I'd expect to see uh, Ellinger um, have, another, have another really good year, and I'd expect him to improve his passing a little bit. Um, but for Hurts, I'm really excited to see what Riley is able to do with him, as I said earlier. Uh, you know, Oklahoma's been a very good with the offensive line. I believe they're only returning their center, <clears throat> excuse me, Creed Humphrey, this next season. And they're going to have to retool a little bit on the offensive line, but OU's recruited well. And in terms of an offensive scheme, tough to find uh, a more prolific one over the last couple of years than, than what Lincoln Riley's done at Oklahoma. Yeah, really, one of the – you start looking at the all-time uh, into that category with the way their offense has just been dominating um, so far ahead of the rest of the country. Uh, our next question comes from listener Weems. Uh, Weems asks, With one of K-State's finest looking for love on this season of The Bachelor – which one of Bill Snyder's 16 rules would be most helpful in her quest to land this ex-football player? Wow. I don't really do much in pop culture. Uh, you're, but, you're, well, more of a, you're more of a baseball man. Yeah, of course, my man. But one thing I do, I do, <coughs> do and that's Bill Snyder's 16 goals for success. Oh, we... we, we Drew, you... Excuse you. Excuse uh, you uh, you committed to memory these sixteen goals. I goal number one to commitment. See, and that's that's very admirable. But um, quite frankly, to to answer Weems' question here, I'm going to have to go with number five. I, that's what I, I popped right into my head too. Be tough. Be tough. Don't if you fall. Don't let these other girls push you around. Yeah. Be tough. Maybe shove them around. Yeah, shove them around. Don't take no guff. Yeah. You know, one of them pushes you, gets you on the ground. You come back with a mean streak and pancake her. <laughs> yeah. And then let her know about it. And if you get pancaked, get up and get ready for the next date. Yeah, that's right. So, best of luck. Uh, I believe her name is Anyeka. Really? Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, it is, actually. <laughs> that's, that's I'm just really surprised you know that. Well, I, I uh, know it because she was, I believe, a pie fly at K-State. Uh, her older sister, when I was in SGA, yeah, I was a nerd and I was involved for wow. like a semester. And I, got, I, I ditched that like a bad habit. To go drink beers, probably, and to watch go drink, sports. To go drink beers and watch sports. Nice. Just, you know what I'm, yeah, man. We Woo! love doing that. Uh, but, yeah, so I did that, and I was in SGA with her older sister, actually, I believe. So, um, yeah, but nothing but the best on Onyeka. Onyeka. Wow. Best of luck to Onyeka. Uh, and remember, be tough. Be tough, that's right. Uh, our next question comes from listener David Sabin via Twitter, at Sabination. Uh, yes or no, will the Scorpion ever lose again? 
Heart says no. Brain says he might trip up once or twice. All right. Uh, our next question comes from listener Steven at Godlewski22. Uh, Steven asks, what's your favorite road trip snack? Oh. My, his favorite is Gardetto's Rye Chips. That's a great one. But for me, and this is a little bit, it's a little bit of a catch-22, but for me, my go-to like travel snack is sunflower seeds when I'm driving because, you know, you can just throw them in your mouth, spit them out in a cup. Yep. G- great way to kill time as you're, you know, making your way uh, down I-70, whether if it's going to Manhattan or, you know, wherever your travel's going Going out to some town out in western Kansas. Yeah. Going out to Scott City, America. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, that's an example. That's where, yeah, that's where the icon likes to Some go. sleepy town. Yeah. Um, watch it there. Uh, and uh, <laughs> anyway, but that is not my answer for my favorite travel sack. So, if, like, if I'm going through the airport, and I've got some time to kill, or I'm going to be on the plane, and I can take something on, no question. Chicken pot pie. Cheddar Chex Mix. Oh. That and a Diet Coke. Can't get any better. That's the fuel the icon needs to keep grinding. That's right, brother. Our next question comes from listener Chris Hansen at chansen88. Chris asks, hey, icon, can you fact check who the leading scorer is in Big 12 play? That would be none other than Barry Brown Jr. BBJ. An elite finisher and, you know, crawling his way up up the K-State leaderboard in in a variety of categories. I know he passed... um, I believe it was Cartier Martin last night. And I think he's got Rodney Magruder within his sights. I think 25, 26 points behind uh, Rodney Magruder, who, of course, is having a nice year uh, with the uh, Miami Heat. But, uh, yeah, Barry Brown uh, leading the Big 12 in scoring uh, by about a full two points. Wow. So, uh, is going to need that uh, kind of effort from Barry uh, throughout the rest of the season. Another basketball question comes from Jesse Kirkwood at Jesse Kirkwood on Twitter. Jesse asks, how many games will Dean Wade play before another foot injury? He's not going to get injured again. No? No. He's healed. He's healed. Strongest strongest foot in the country, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, knock on that wood. Yeah, he's, he's, he's good. And our final question comes from listener Todd. I hope really. You're not sure? I mean, I don't. I'm not a doctor. I'm an icon. I'm a doctor. Oh, you're a doctor. Yeah. No, oh, I'm that's s- right. You are a doctor. But maybe I should be asking you this, huh? Maybe doc. Yeah, maybe when we institute, ask uh, Doctor Delu. But uh, not today. Uh, next questioner. Our last question, in fact, oh, comes from wow. listener Todd at TGVis. Todd asks, which former K State player would have the best Comedy Central roast? Who would host? Hmm. So who who are we roasting? Who are we, who are we roasting? This is kind of off the radar here. That's right. The, the icons a little stunned here. So we'll go. Uh, I think the best person to roast. We'll, we'll, do you want to stick with basketball or football? I think the question's either. I have somebody in mind, and I, he's a football player. Someone that we're gonna roast. That we're gonna roast. Okay, I want to hear what you have to say because I have one that comes to mind for me. Okay, I think Colin Klein is a 
premier roast candidate. Yeah. Because he's a guy who obviously has a lot of notoriety. Yeah. And, but also he's pretty weird. <laughs> I remember during his Heisman campaign in 2012, he was on the Colin Cowherd show. And they were, Cowherd was trying to get him just to show a little bit of personality. <laughs> and he, uh, he mentioned, whoa, well, Colin, you're a, you're a bit of a musician, huh? And Klein was like, yeah, I, like, sing a little bit. And Coward's like, just a nightmare a second. Coward's like... <laughs> I can see this. Coward's because... like, okay, well, you sing a song? And Klein kind of fumbles, and he's like, uh, okay, okay, I, okay, I'll sing. And he What's, but, what, what do you sing? He, he busted it, too. Praise God from whom all blood does the whole song. This is like, from my memory, the song lasted like a, an entire minute on Colin Coward's radio show. He's on his national Praise radio Praise God show. from whom all blessings flow. And afterwards, Colin was like, wow, great job. And I just remember listening to this, being so pumped that K-State's quarterback was on a national radio show in the midst of a Heisman campaign. And he gets on there and starts singing gospel in. And uh, I... I Missed that. And I, it, I've never heard of this. Yeah, and he's so, from my perspective at least, he's such a kind of a bashful guy that you get him roasted up there that he'd blush and kind of him and haw. Yeah, you know that's that's a lot better of an answer than what I had. Yeah, I, I was just trying to think who's like kind of a weird, famous K State player, and obviously there's some stick out. I mean, there'd be a lot of fodder for like. Crash Eckler or like Jared Cooper. That's another yeah. good one. Just real guys were just pretty strange. Yeah. But Klein is so far on the other end of the spectrum that I think that'd be pretty good. And I think a guy like Chris Harper would be a, a good guy that would know the ins and outs of Klein pretty well and yeah. be able to host that. Man, that's a really you you did a much better job. I, maybe we have to put an Ask D. Louis segment. Next yeah, maybe. Time. Next maybe, next week. Maybe someday. Well, uh, next season. I mean, you can't change no, the format maybe, in the maybe, middle of a, in the middle of the maybe, season. Maybe next maybe next episode. Yeah, I want to count on it. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, I uh, would like to. I was gonna say uh, Matt Butler was gonna be my guy. Wow. What do you that's, think about that, huh? That's, uh, that's number 59, man. You know, I remember uh, there was like this... We I'd go to uh, McAllister's. Why Matt Butler? That's like a... He's more of a Wildcat legend, I'd, I'd say. <laughs> Rather than a Rose candidate. No, you never know. I, I don't know all that much about Matt Butler, but McAllister's. Let's hear it. McAllister's, uh, there's just like this random like... They, you know, like they're showing like, oh yeah, you know... We support the cats here, so they have a couple K State pictures up throughout there, and one of them is Matt Butler just ready to go in, oh, in, a, in a nice linebacker stance. He was a thick linebacker, man. He was wide. No, he started on that 2000. He took Terry Pierce's. Yeah, role. on that 2003 team. Yeah, yeah. So who would who would host him? Hmm. You would think somebody else on that K State defense. Yeah, I was going to say uh, probably Justin Montgomery, I think, would probably be. He would be a great one. Yeah, because, I mean, if, you, if you've had the opportunity to, to speak with Justin, you know he's got, you know, real vivacious, eclectic personality. He's a super quick wit. 
Yeah, and you know, I every time I run into him, it's just always he's always got me grabbing my side. Yeah. I mean, just just even thinking about it right that now makes me laugh. Just a barrel of monkeys, man. So yeah, he really he is. He or Lewis Lavender. Yeah, yeah, Lewis Lavender. He can always get you rolling too uh, out there. But yeah, there. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of answers we could have gone there. So yeah, our our dear friend Todd there, he got. Uh, you got only not only the icons of pain, but you also got the Lewis pain yeah. on that one. So, well, well, that'll wrap us up here on this week's edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. Thanks for uh, listening. Of course, Icon, do you have any parting thoughts? Big week for K State basketball here against uh, TCU and Texas Tech. Both teams very dangerous. Texas Tech, uh, of course, coming off a loss to. Um, Lost to Iowa State. They go on the road, I believe, to Baylor this weekend. Uh, Baylor's kind of a dangerous team as well, especially at home. They, uh, th- they'll they be coming into Manhattan. I-, I-, I expect them to beat Baylor, but they'll be coming into Manhattan um, trying to keep their spot right at the top of the Big 12 Conference um, as well. Uh, TCU, dangerous team, as we as we said. Shoot the ball well from three. So K-State will have to bring uh, their A game in that one. All right. Well, that'll wrap us up for this week's edition of the Short Side Option. And we will see you back next week. We will kind of give a retrospective on the games we talked about tonight and look forward to more K-State basketball as the 2019 campaign rolls on. Thanks for listening. Go Cats. Go Cats.